May 29th, John chapter 18, verses 1 through 24. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas the betrayer knew this place because Jesus had gone there many times with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a battalion of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. Stepping forward to meet them, he asked, Whom are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas was standing there with them when Jesus identified himself. And as he said, I am he, they all fell backward to the ground. Once more he asked them, Whom are you searching for? And again they replied, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he, Jesus said, and since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement, I have not lost a single one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant. But Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup the Father has given me? So the soldiers, their commanding officer and the temple guards, arrested Jesus and tied him up. First they took him to Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had told the other Jewish leaders, Better that one should die for all. Simon Peter followed along behind, as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the courtyard with Jesus. Peter stood outside the gate. Then the other disciple spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, "'Aren't you one of Jesus' disciples?' "'No,' he said. "'I am not.' The guards and the household servants were standing around a charcoal fire they had made, because it was cold, and Peter stood there with them, warming himself. Inside, the high priest began asking Jesus about his followers and what he had been teaching them. Jesus replied, What I teach is widely known, because I have preached regularly in the synagogues and the temple. I have been heard by people everywhere, and I teach nothing in private that I have not said in public. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. One of the temple guards standing there struck Jesus on the face. Is that the way to answer the high priest, he demanded? Jesus replied, If I said anything wrong, you must give evidence for it. Should you hit a man for telling the truth? Then Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. I'm David Brainerd, one of America's greatest saints. He was dying of tuberculosis. It's not how long you live, it's how you live that matters. So here he is racked with consumption. His body weighs about 85 pounds. Did that little man dying there, a man that lived with the Indians, a man that hardly ever got a decent meal, he ate berries, he slept with the Indians, they let him sleep in a wigwam or a beaten up building, and he says, well, I never get a decent meal, but oh, God is so real. When he coughed, he spit blood in the ground. When he sneezed, he sprayed blood in the ground. This is an American. 
see that every one of our young preachers gets a copy of the life of David Brainerd to stir them to action, to stir them to sacrifice, to get their focusing straight. They're not living for eternity. They become professional preachers. They're happy to go along and preach in a nice place. Get their eyes on eternity. Therefore, they must read David Brainerd. Did David Brainerd, as he prayed there, dying, gasping for breath? Did he ever dream a young man in England, a young Baptist by the name of Carey, would read that biography and it would send him to India? He could really say what we sing, God help us, I lay in dust life's glory dead. Put your so-called faith and love into action. Lay in dust your pride, forget it. Who cares whether you wear designer clothes or not? Who cares whether you have the best ring or anything, the best car? Doesn't matter. You should have a prayer meeting in your church every morning and the pastor should be there to lead it. It's his business. To be an example, not a talker. If you don't have a praying pastor, forget it. When I pastored the church in England in my 20s, that was in 1934, we had seven prayer meetings a week. We had a half night of prayer Saturday night. Do you wonder people lined up outside the church to get a seat? Do you wonder the glory of the Lord filled the place? Do you wonder we never had a sports program in any period at all? We throngs of young people, dozens of them in about five different parties went out to our street meetings. I didn't have to urge them and whip them, they caught a light, they were ablaze. No church is going to have revival with a, with a prayer meeting one morning a week or one night a week. This is a time for blood, sweat and tears. If fellows can lose all their rights and go up to, what do you call it, West Point? Listen, if they can do it, dear God, can't we do it? What are you shrugging up in that little church for? Because it never hurts you to go. Because nobody fasts, nobody prays, nobody weeps. Your preacher's dry-eyed, he talks. How in God's name do they do it? I don't know. Why do you weep while other people are laughing? Why do you fast while other people are having a whale of a time? It's stupid, it is. Except in the light of eternity, it isn't. You see, you have to account for your time. So here you've got three. You live 24 hours a day, you work eight, eight hours a day, you sleep eight hours a day, what do you do with the other eight? Put that into years. You live 60 years, you sleep 20 years, you work 20 years, what do you do with the other 20? As I've said to you, if I could push the door of, the, if I could push the door of heaven and you could peep into it for five minutes, you'd never backslide, you'd change your lifestyle, you'd change your conversation style, Listen, you and I are supposed to be eternity conscious. How can you go to a fashionable church where nobody weeps? All this has got to end. To end. Can you imagine in eternity? It will not make much difference, friend, a hundred years from now, if you live in a stately mansion or a floating river scow, if the clothes you wear are a tailor-made or just pieced together somehow, if you eat big steaks or beans and cake a hundred years from now. What matter what your bank account or the make of car you drive, for the grave will claim all your riches and fame and the things for which you strive. There's a deadline that we all must meet. No one will show up late. It won't matter. All the places have been, each one will keep all the places you've been, each one will keep that date. We will only have in eternity what we gave away on earth. When we go to the grave we can only save the things of eternal worth. What matters, friend, the earthly gain for which for which some men will bow? For your destiny will be sealed, you see, a hundred years from now. Isn't that something? Won't matter if you live in a stately mansion or a floating river scar. What kind of clothes you won't matter. The only thing that will matter if, if we're clothed in righteousness, 
John Wesley fasted, prayed, he made money, he built schools, he built orphanages, he printed Bibles, he printed Methodist hymn books. Is the dying thief going to have the same reward? What about that job God gave you and you, 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 you gave it up? Disgusted or discouraged? I'll tell you what, we're not going to be the same in heaven. They, not one, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder. According to tradition, Isaiah was hung this way with his feet strapped up there and sawn down the middle, not with an electric saw, and get it over with a wooden saw. He was, he was sawn in pieces. They were stoned. How long did it take them to die? They were sawn asunder. They were destitute. And that means they were totally void. They had no clothes except rags. They had no fooding except scraps. You know, all these guys have gone down the drain. Do you know why? Let me tell you how to backslide. Why they backslide? They all backslide in the place of prayer. And because they're cold there, in the place of prayer, because they're failing in the place of prayer, they lose the presence of God. It's time for you to tighten up your prayer life. 